Greetings, and welcome to this edition of Peter's Field Hospital, the official podcast for the website Where Peter Is. I'm Mike Lewis, the managing editor of wherepeteris.com, and this will be a two-part podcast episode. In the first part, David Lafferty and I will be concluding our discussion with Jose Rodriguez, the host of the podcast Conversation on Tap. In part one, we talked about his faith journey, as well as his reaction to encountering Catholic social media. So we'll be picking up our conversation just after Jose has talked to us about his first encounters with online traditionalists on social media, discovering where Peter is and how we got to know him. In part two of this podcast, I will be speaking with Mike Tenney. Mike is a Catholic speaker, evangelist, teacher, musician, and now he's the host of the web series Pop Culture Catechism. Mike and I catch up, talk about the old days, and also talk about his vision for evangelization and his experiences as a teacher and as a Catholic. Before we begin this episode of Peter's Field Hospital, I would like to make a special request. If you appreciate our work at Where Peter Is, and you've gotten something out of our articles and podcasts, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that enables fans or patrons to make a monthly contribution to support content creators. Running Where Peter Is is not free. Our apostolate has grown to the point where I have begun to work on it full-time. If we are going to succeed, we need your help. If you would like to support our work on Patreon, please click on one of the links to our Patreon page, or on the button on the right-hand column of wherepeteris.com. Thank you very much for your generosity. We can't do it without you. The church operates at all levels. Most of the church throughout history has probably been illiterate. But if you're a nerd, <laughs> you know, why not nerd out over church history or theology or philosophy or what year, what pope did what? I mean, that's, that's all well and good. But when it comes to faithfulness and following the magisterium, and respecting the Holy Father, respecting other people, recognizing human dignity, that that stuff is universal. And so, yeah, you might be able to name all of the, all 260 whatever popes in a row in the years that they served, but that's totally secondary. You might understand Latin like Adam Rasmussen does. That's, that's a funny thing. He writes, I don't know if you read his Vatican II analyses, but he doesn't like to use, he doesn't like to use the, the translation that's on the Vatican website or the other one that's in the book. He likes to go to the original Latin and put his own <laughs> translation yeah. in there, which, which is great. But it's like, you don't, that's not important in order for you to be a Catholic. And the thing is, with like these traditionalists, it's like they're assuming Catholics have to get this extra knowledge. Okay, yeah, yeah, there are all those teachings about following the Pope or whatever, but they they think that it's like incumbent upon like the everyday catholic to like recognize that the pope is teaching error and to figure out the right like that system doesn't work but i they don't seem to realize that but 
They always talk about people being poorly catechized. That's the big problem is that everyone's poorly catechized and they don't really understand the church and its teachings and, and all that sort of thing. But I think, yeah, we actually have a, a level of knowledge about the church and about theology and the history of the church that no Catholics before us have ever had. So I don't think it's a problem of knowledge. I think it's a, a problem of being able to, to live the faith in the way we're supposed to as Christians. Uh, there's, no, there's absolutely no shortage of knowledge. That's the thing. We have the, the internet. We have every church document we could ever want at our fingertips. And many people who claim to interpret church teaching with their own shows, with their own books and talks and everything. So there's absolutely no shortage of information. But there is a shortage of, I think, people just willing to live like good Christians. And that's, that's very distressing, actually. And that's something that we see, I think, in Catholic social media, especially, where you have people who are the kind of always online types. And I mean, I admit I'm, I'm like that myself. But yeah, we got to make sure that we're also, that we're living the faith as well. We're not just thinking about it and arguing about it. Because yeah, that eventually leads us to the position that we think we know better than, than what the Pope is telling us, that we know better what, than what the uh, bishops are telling us, and, and that we're the ones who can figure everything out on our own. But no, we're a, a church, we're a, a whole body. We have to work together and we have to live together as Christians. Yeah, David, I like that, I, that article that you had written about there being this popeless tradition, but that to me seems very Protestant. And I don't know if it's because American Catholics and evangelicals have been so allied in the culture wars that they're almost becoming more Protestant in that sense, to where some random dude who doesn't even have his face or his name attached to their Twitter handle, just like some picture of a knight, <laughs> right, going on a crusade, and some random Latin handle, that person knows more about Catholicism, more about doctrine, more about Christ than the Pope. They have, in a sense, made themselves Pope. And if they wouldn't consider themselves Pope, they would at least consider themselves to be a cardinal. And maybe Taylor Marshall and his rippling pectoral muscles, maybe he's their Pope. And I think that's an, a massive problem. There, there's this, I think you guys have referred to it as a parallel magisterium, where it's like, yeah, 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 the, that's not really orthodox, that's heterodox. We're teaching over here on Catholic Twitter, that's orthodoxy. The, ima the imagisterium, the imaginary magisterium. So it's the yeah. one that, not the, not the actual, like what the church teaches isn't actually church teaching. It's the abstract, ineffable unchanging perennial magisterium or something. Yeah, so and, I have to wonder, is this dude with the picture of a knight, does he pray? Does he have a relationship with Christ? Or does he just spend all this time reading these dusty books, these dusty volumes that have been sitting on shelves and then digitized online? Is that his faith? Is that person's faith? Or what? I, I don't want to judge someone's heart, but you can look at the fruit and the fruit's rotten. Yeah, and I think, too, that this has to be distinguished from what I think is a, a healthy critical attitude towards the church. I'm, I mean, being 
a contributor to where Peter is and in, in my, in the way that I often tweet about Pope Francis and, and write about Pope Francis, people sometimes assume that I'm a ultra Montanist or that I believe in just unquestioning obedience to everything the Pope says, or that the unquestioning obedience of bishops or, or whatever. But, and, and I actually, I don't believe in that. I believe that we need to have a sort of healthy critical attitude, but one where we always, we start at the top. So we listen to what the Pope has to say first, and we take it very seriously. And we listen to what our bishops have to say, and we take it very seriously. And then we can apply our own sort of critical analysis of what they're saying, because I, I really don't believe in a kind of clericalist church where it's just submission and obedience. That is been something that I think the church has definitively moved past since uh, Vatican II. I think there's a lot of room for criticism and conscience and things like that to come into play, but they have to come into play in the right sort of balance. So you don't first, again, whenever Pope Francis says anything, publishes a new document, anything, and it'll be the same when he publishes his new encyclical, I'm going to read it very carefully and I'm going to take it very seriously. And then I'm going to see how it's being received by the, you know, the bishops in the church, and then maybe how it's being received by Catholic commentators. And then I'm going to try to make a sort of informed decision about it and receive it in, in my own way in that kind of process. But I'm never going to start with the position that I know better than what everybody else um, is saying. I'm not going to take an oppositional uh, position. And I know for sure when this new encyclical comes out, there are many who are already in an oppositional stance, ready to criticize every part of it, ready to just pick it apart for whatever bit they can find that sounds somewhat heretical-ish to them or doesn't really fit with what, what they believe. And I think that's just the wrong way to do it. But you can have a healthy, critical attitude towards the church. You can. The church is not perfect, and uh, the church can make mistakes. And we have to, and Pope Francis himself is admitted when he's made mistakes and admitted that he's not perfect, he's not impeccable, and most of the time he's not speaking infallibly. So, yeah, it's a process. It's a process through which we, we think with church. And that can sometimes, that thinking with the church can include a sort of respectful criticism. But what we see a lot of the time is not respectful criticism. It's not a thinking with the church. It's a thinking against the church. And uh, yeah, it's been the last four years that it's reached a sort of fever pitch. I think you're right that there's an automatic initial response of mistrust from a certain segment of Catholics. And, and to your point, in my witness, my journey, my faith journey, in my 20s, you know, it was after the year 2000. It was after the Boston Globe Spotlight series. And for me, it was like, whoa, my own church has been involved in this child abuse sex scandal. They've been covering it up for decades and moving priests around. And now these priests have become bishops and cardinals like Uncle Teddy. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I can live any way I want because look what my church is doing, right? And we've seen over the years where they have, where the church has, uh, not handled things well with regards to the child sex abuse crisis. And Pope Francis, as you mentioned, had to apologize because he dismissed some of the cases in South America and turns out that they were actually verifiable and, 
inaccurate accusations. And I think we can also agree that maybe Pope Francis has made some comments about women that may be a little patriarchal. So I agree. I don't want to just say Pope Francis is correct 100% of the time. Every word out of his mouth is you know, infallible. But I think if we take the approach of hearing what he says with charity and beginning with goodwill, I think that's a good place to start. And then some fraternal correction if need be, but something like the dubia or these people who Taylor Marshall and his, his scorned buddy, Timothy Gordon, these kinds of people, they start with automatically the Pope is a heretic and, and they generate for their own self-interest and their own economic benefit. And they sow dissension and mistrust. For their own gain. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're building a brand. They're, they're building their own particular brand of antagonism, I think, towards the church. And that, it, it sells. It, it generates huge attention. It generates a lot of donations and that sort of thing. And again, I don't have, I don't have a problem with people making money, being commentators on church or, or giving talks. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if, if you're making money by playing into people's fears, if you're making money by stoking discord where there doesn't need to be any, especially when it's towards the Pope himself, that's a very serious thing. So yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah, I think on Patriot. No, it's okay to make money, but don't tear apart the church. Is what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, don't tear apart the church. And I, I see in a lot of these guys increasing desperation as they go along. They start out by being subtle about it, and and then they find that maybe generates attention. Like I used to listen to Taylor Marshall as well way back in the day because I was interested in Aquinas and you know he was doing a podcast where he would often look at Aquinas and relate it to being a Catholic in the world today and so that's interesting stuff sure I'll listen to it um, and he was he was okay he's a talented guy um, but I could I, I I watched the progression and I've seen it in so many of these people progression into they become like a sort of these raving Rush Limbaugh type characters, like the, the kind of, I think, oh, uh, who was it that described them as uh, shock jocks just recently? I saw it on, on Twitter, Sam Rocha. Uh, Rocha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he described them as, uh, they're, they're like shock jocks, like guys like uh, Howard Stern kind of thing who generate a listenership or a readership or whatever by continually shocking people with the things that they say. But they always have to get more and more shocking as they go along. And, and now they're, I don't know how, far, how much further some of them can go in some ways. I think Taylor Marshall has backed himself into a corner. I almost feel the same way about Patrick Coffin as well. And sometimes now their discourse is just, it's just Trumpy and slander and uh, rudeness and uh, that sort of thing. It's not even really about Catholicism at all. So yeah, it's a very tragic thing, but I, I like to think of this whole what's going on as a, a real transformation. I, I think it's, uh, at first I thought, oh, this is terrible. There's, you know, this, the, the church is really in decline, but I'm realizing, no, this is, something is happening here. There's a real change that's, that's going on. And a new church in, in North America, and especially in the U.S., uh, is, is coming into being. Um, and these are part of the, the growing pains, I think. And I think Pope Francis recognizes that. To me, that's why he hasn't directly responded to a lot of these people, like a lot of people like Archbishop Vigano, or hasn't taken any disciplinary action towards them, because I think he understands that however painful this may be uh, for him and for many in the church, 
it has to play out. It has to be something that we go through in order to come out the other side um, transformed. I actually, I'm a little op- optimistic about the, the future, actually. I think that while there's some really terrible things happening in the church and some terrible behavior among Catholics, it's just scandalous. I also think that there's some incredible growth happening with a lot of Catholics that were being forged in the fire of, of all of this controversy to become something new and, and better. Yeah, so why don't we just love to have you back, Jose. I'm down for that too, yeah. Maybe to talk about the piece that you had just written for Where Peter Is. Ooh, I know. (laughs) Okay, so I looked back in our messages, because like, how far ago was this? And I I said, hey, I should write something about, like, poverty or write something about immigration policy with regards to Pope Francis's... uh, Yeah, how is that coming along? Really slowly, but... okay. But I, I, after I saw that, I thought, I need to get on that and submit something. So Yeah, man, I was inviting. Now I'm getting all these unsolicited scripts, you know, or, or all these unsolicited submissions and PhDs and not too many middle school teachers in, in Southern California. You're always welcome. Thank you. Where, so where, what's next for you? Where can we find you? Where can we find you on social media? Where can we listen to your Fred talks? Where can we hear you and Joel podcasting. Oh my goodness. So if you want to follow me on the Twitterverse, my handle is at weird educator because I'm an educator and I'm relatively weird. You can also find uh, my podcast also on Twitter, Conversation on Tap. I'm still trying to grow my fan base on Twitter. I'm not that good with the online presence. I'm still working on it. And then my podcast, you can find us, Conversation on Tap. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. So we're on Podbean. We were on Google Play, but not so much anymore. We're on um, Stitcher. Obviously, we're on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, check it out. It's, it's, and we'll provide the link under the show thing, whatever, under the... Yeah. We will provide the link un- below. below. The link will be below. <laughs> Down below, yeah. Under so- the Patreon. <laughs> Follow us on Patreon. Click on the the Patreon first (laughs) and (laughs) then go to Jose's podcast. Yeah. So I actually was saying I should start a Patreon for my podcast just for beer money, just so we can get some beer. So I'm not even the most interesting person on my own podcast. Joel is the real hero of the podcast. He is so passionate, enthusiastic about everything. My voice is the more monotone, just even keeled. He's the exciting one. So uh, yeah, check it out. Conversation. On tap. All right. And David, what do you have to say? I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, Jose, and hearing your story. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear eventually more about your thoughts on education. I think that that's something that I find especially fascinating, this kind of idea of reaching out to the uh, margins and maybe students who are disadvantaged or have been through uh, rough times and just engaging in that kind of work. I think it's just something that's fascinating to me. And, and I think I, I respect you for, for doing that. And I know you wanted to talk about QAnon. Um, oh. And if you go to the archives of Conversation on Tap, you will find one DW. Do you, do you name him DW or David Lafferty? Uh, I think I went with David Lafferty. David Lafferty. If you're confused about this entire QAnon phenomenon, David spends almost as much time as he does studying weird church minutiae as he does studying 
weird conspiracy theories, and he helps provide people who don't understand QAnon with an explanation of what QAnon is yeah. and how weird it is. And anyway, I say that, that back when we did that podcast, QAnon was still something that not everybody knew about really. Like people may have heard about it, but boy, the last few weeks, I think it's just completely exploded. And yeah, watch out. I think especially as we get closer to uh, November, you're going to hear even more about it. And yeah, I think it's something that may be with us for quite a while, whether QAnon or just the general sort of uh, conspiracy mania that uh, people seem to be falling into, especially after the COVID lockdown. It's getting a bit terrifying. So I, I hope you guys take care in the U.S. I know things are pretty crazy there right now. <laughs> so just try to stay sane while all this stuff is going on. Any final words, Jose? I just want to thank both of you and, and all the contributors to where Peter is and the Peter's Field Hospital. You're definitely doing the work of evangelization. You're doing the work of having these important conversations important articles, informing people about Pope Francis, but also having an authentic faith. And it's almost like a, I don't want to say a counter-reformation, but it is like this effort to say, don't listen to these people who are trying to besmirch Pope Francis, people who are trying to sow divisions in our church. And so you're a reasonable, sane voice in a time that is just absolutely polarized and insane. So I thank you. And someday I'll submit my piece finally to you guys and, and I can be published and be back on again as a guest who's had a contribution. Yeah. And I think as people who are, all three of us are fans of Pope Francis, we should all prayerfully prepare for the release of his new encyclical. It's going to be crazy after that uh, comes down. I know I'm going to be all over it. I'm, I'm trying to prepare myself mentally for it. I think we should all Keep that in mind, and yeah, we'll probably be talking about that for months. So thank you to Jose Rodriguez for joining us. David, a pleasure as always. Welcome back. In this segment, I'm joined by Mike Tenney. Mike Tenney is a Catholic speaker, a musician, a blogger, podcast host of the new podcast, Pop Culture Catechism, and he has just recently become a stay-at-home dad. Welcome to Peter's Field Hospital, Mike. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Honored to be invited onto the show. So Mike and I actually have a little bit of parallel personal history. Mike went to the same high school as I did, but he was four years behind me. Mm -hmm. So we never actually overlapped in school together. He was a year behind my brother yep. and I was one and three years behind his brothers. So I knew your older brothers, Dave and Brian mm -hmm. and you got to know my brother, Father Patrick. Pretty yeah, well. we were we were good friends. In fact, I I remember one of my most vivid memories from high school was we were in a, uh, a musical together. For we were in Bye Bye Birdie together, and for some reason, like before the 
rehearsal started like everyone was eating and we got in a debate about the church and following the church or whether you should listen to the church at all. And he and I were on the same side against the entire rest of the cast. <laughs> yeah, we, we were buddies and just, I, we just always had a, a great respect for each other and we, we've kept in touch through the years. I, I run into him every once in a while when I'm doing events around the diocese. So it's, so it's always good to catch up with him. Yeah, it's been, well, first of all, that says something about the state of Catholic education <laughs> in this area, at least in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, so I, I've been following, I guess we could say, your trajectory or your career since graduation from high school. Mm -hmm. You were, I heard a lot about your being a musician, and mm -hmm. then you went to go teach high school religion and be a campus minister at one of our neighbor high schools, Pilate in yeah. Laurel. With your taught, brother, right? Yes, yeah, so my brother and I uh, taught, in the, well, he's still there. He's not a vice principal. And I taught there for 14 years in the religion department. And I taught everything. I taught a little bit of English too. That was my undergraduate degree from Catholic University was in English and secondary education. And then I got a master's degree from Washington Theological Union in, the, in theology. And so I, I taught religion there for 14 years, was campus minister, and I loved it. And, and I taught up until spring 2020 when COVID hit and my wife was finishing up her nurse practitioner degree from Catholic U as well. And we've been discerning over the past few years as I've been getting more calls to do speaking gigs and music gigs and I'm not just doing them around the diocese anymore. Now I'm getting calls to go to Texas or go to Vermont or go to, to Buffalo and different places I've, I've gone over the past few years. And so we've been discerning, like, what would life look like if I was a stay-at-home dad, but then I could still have some time to, to do the traveling gig. The wife was making enough money as a nurse practitioner that I wasn't, like, having to hustle all the time and constantly be gone. A lot of the guys I've gotten to know who are itinerant ministers doing you know, books and speaking and music and that sort of thing, they're just gone all the time grinding to make it ends meet for their family. And it just started making sense. And I was been praying about it for a long time, just discerning, using St. Ignatius's tools for discernment, reading Timothy Gallagher books, <laughs> praying about it. And time came for me to sign my contract uh, for the 2020-2021 school year. And I was all set to do it. And just something in my heart just, just wasn't right. And so my wife and I sat down and we talked about it. We prayed about it some more. And over the next week, I just realized... I think God's calling me to calling us to take a little bit of a leap of faith. Finances were going to be tight and they're, they're still a little tight right now, but I can tell you a few months in that our, our work life balance has never been better. Our home life has never been like happier or more peaceful. So yeah, so my wife is kicking butt as a pediatric nurse practitioner and I'm figuring out life as a stay at home dad for my two young kids. And I haven't gotten to do a lot of the speaking and music that I, I normally do because of COVID. Most of the events have been canceled, but I've used that opportunity to, to start some things. So I started a show called Pop Culture Catechism through a nonprofit, Catholic nonprofit called Awaken Catholic. They're in Ohio, unfortunately, and I'm in the DC area. So how we work it is every three months, I go to Ohio and I record a bunch of episodes and then they're released every two weeks over the next few months. And then I go back in a few months and I do it again. So I, I went for the first time in August and it was amazing. And we we're going to do only four episodes. It was going to be once a month. 
and just they were going so well we were so excited about it we're like we got to do some more episodes so I, I ended up doing 10 episodes while i was there and uh, so now it's coming out every two weeks instead of 12 episodes a year it'll be 26 episodes a year so a little a little bit more demanding but i'm just i'm so excited about it the, the feedback i've been getting just after the first couple episodes has been really positive so i'm, I'm excited about it, excited to see it grow and I, I think some people are listening to it that aren't like your standard catholic podcast listeners which is exciting. So it's a cool chance for evangelization and to, to speak the gospel to people that I probably wouldn't get to speak the gospel to otherwise. It's humbling and exciting and scary, but God's doing stuff, you know? <laughs> and I'm just along for the ride, trying to be a, a vessel. So is, that, is this your first podcast experience? I didn't realize you were going all the way up to Ohio to do yeah, it. Yeah, so they have a really ridiculous studio there that just uh so nick delator is the that he's the mastermind of it all he and his wife are, are captain musicians and they're yeah they have a recording studio in their basement and then they have uh audio visual visual video studio studio upstairs and they got like 10 shows going and i'm one of the shows it's awesome so uh, i've been guests on podcasts before but this is the first time I w i've ever been like the host of my own show i've thought about it for a long time but i just not really sure what I would do. And when uh, Nick approached me, it was just like, hey, would, would you ever consider this crazy idea of coming to Ohio every few months to record a show? And I was just like, yes, immediately. I have to do that. And I, we brainstormed ideas for a show and what I would do. And it just, it all fell together. It was very providential. And it happened like right after I quit my job. So it all, it all fell into place. Well, you know, just to reassure you about that commute to Ohio, if you have somebody else that's editing the podcast for you, <laughs> yeah, that basically... It, it, it cancels itself out. Yeah, it saves in time. Yeah, exactly. I, I would drive to Ohio and back for somebody to edit my podcast. <laughs> exactly. Here in where Peter is studios, we we have top notch equipment, but mm -hmm. we don't have the staff to to cut and mix the program. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's great. So as you were saying, you are a stay at home dad now, but you mm -hmm. spent fourteen years working with young people, mm -hmm. playing music. I guess we I guess you could say that evangelization has been your gig for probably since college or Yeah, even in high school. I remember we I was at St. Martin of Tours in Gaithersburg growing up. That's where I first met Father Dan Leary. Father Dan Leary who was my pastor until he went off to Mexico this summer as a missionary. Yeah. So I, we had a great youth group there, and I remember I had, a, I had a powerful conversion experience as a freshman in high school. Just I'd been, I'd grown up in a Catholic family, but in that youth group, we did a, a retreat, and I had like my Jesus moment where I was like, holy crap, this is all real. God exists. God loves me. My confession actually does something. The Mass is amazing. Like I, had, I, I was drinking the Jesus juice. I was riding the Jesus train from that point on. And that was my freshman year, and I, I went on that retreat again as a sophomore. and. I remember just thinking like, all right, God, well, what is, what is this? I'm, I, I know that you're real. What do you want from me now? And just in a, a quiet time of prayer, I feel like God gave me a, a word, not like an audible voice, but just, uh, just got a sense of my heart. Just something about like, share your gifts, share your gifts, share your gifts. And so ever since then, I've had this idea of, yeah, like I, I do want to, I do want to spread the gospel. I want to, share this freedom that I've found and help other people to find it. And our high school is very big on service. And so that idea that the gospel is not just about the spiritual works of mercy, but it's also about the corporal works of mercy. And the, the two are intimately related. The two are intimately twined. And so that's an important part of the gospel too. We pray for the 
the kingdom here on earth, not just someday when you die. I've always just kind of, not always, but, but I'd say there, there's been a part of me that God has, a, there's been a call that God has put on my heart to try to, to spread his love, like in whatever way. I was just talking with my wife the other day, just talking about like, do you ever feel like we should be living more radically? Do you ever feel like we should be doing something more? And she's like, all the time. I always feel that way. And she's like, but you did just quit your job because you think God told you to. And I was like, you're right. You're right. I did do that. I guess that was pretty radical by some people's, um, by some people's estimation. She's like, before that, you were literally teaching people the gospel every day for 14 years. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. But there's, I feel like that's, that's good for, for Christians to kind of have that uneasy sense that we, we shouldn't get too comfortable. We should always be trying to push ourselves to, to reach more people in, in more ways. So yeah, that idea of evangelization has definitely always been on my heart. And I, I think also I've always been a bit of a performer. I'm the youngest uh, in my family. I've always liked attention. I've always liked being on stage. So I think that's, if I'm being totally honest, that's part of me too, is I, I like being the teacher in the room. I like being the musician in the room. I like being the person on the podcast that people are listening to. I, I, I get a thrill out of that. And I have to really guard my heart and pray for purity of intention so that it's not about me. It is for the Lord and his glory. But uh, yeah, I think it's something that God has, has put very close to my heart is to spread the gospel and to meet people where they're at. Where did your music come into this? Like, when did you pick up the guitar? When did you start singing? When did that? So all... for as far as most musicians I know are concerned, I was late in the game. It was about that same time that I had my my conversion, you might say, where I started taking my faith really seriously was also when I started getting into music. I think before that, I'd always had an interest in music, but I was a little nervous or insecure. Oh, what are people going to think? You know, I was a jock. I played soccer. I wrestled. And I feel like gaining a friendship with Christ taught me that I don't need to worry so much about the opinions of other people. And it really set me free to pursue things like music. And so I, after that, I joined the choir at my school and I started playing guitar and I just, I had a knack for it and started growing from there. When I got to college, I, I fully transitioned from jock to music kid. And I was playing music four or five nights a week at mass at adoration, um, part of a praise band. I was, I started a band with my friends. We were just everywhere I went. I feel like in college, it was a jam session. I don't know if you've ever seen Animal House, but there's a scene where the guy is at the party playing guitar on the stairs and the girls are there like, oh, he's playing guitar. And John Belushi comes by and takes the guitar and smashes it. It's like in college, I was the guy on the stairs with the guitar. <laughs> trying to and I was the, the guy who smashed it. <laughs> yeah, I was the guy everywhere you went. I just was playing music as much as possible. And I feel like I played in a secular band for a number of years after, after college, uh, a band called The Understudies. We played locally in the area. And out of that is where I honed my skills. And I feel like the Lord called me from that into doing music ministry. So you weren't always like, were you Mr. Praise and Worship or were you? I was always Mr. Praise and Worship, but not in my own, not in my own. I was going to be a rock star. So yeah. I, at church, I was that guy. And I was involved in ministry. And depending on the group of stuff. girls at the party. <laughs> yes. Depending on the group of girls at the party. Yeah. I, I, I knew whether to play John Mayer or Jarza Clay. So... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but I've never written my own devotional music. I've never written my own music for mass or worship just because I don't I've tried it and I'm not very good at it. I'm much better with like breakup songs and that sort of thing. And also for an evangelization purpose, like when I get a call to go do a youth conference somewhere and I'm gonna 
be in front of 400 kids for an hour. I don't want to spend 10 minutes of that teaching them some song I wrote that they've never heard before. I want to be able to pray with them immediately. So I'm going to pick a song that they already know or is very easy to learn. And also, I feel like that kind of keeps me a little bit honest. I'm, I'm not disparaging other people who do it other ways. I know lots of good, holy people who make a living off of writing their own music. But for me, I've just never really felt called to write my own music. I've always just kind of wanted to worship with what people know already. So I kind of felt like I'd be adding to the noise otherwise. So. No, I mean, maybe you should take up a vanity project. Now you've got some free time on your <laughs> <Yeah>. hands. <laughs> Called two children. <laughs> so I was just talking to Jose Rodriguez mm-hmm. on the previous segment of the podcast, and he teaches junior high yeah. in California, public school, heavily, heavily immigrant community, obviously a completely mm. different dynamic. You, on the other hand, were specifically teaching the gospel to either Catholic kids or whose parents wanted to give their kids a Catholic education. And I didn't, I guess time flies when you're having fun, but 14 years, that's a pretty good chunk of time. Uh And I have, so I have a 13 year old and 11 year old and then some little ones underneath that, but they're approaching that age. And I know obviously growing up in a Catholic family that's super involved in their faith, it's going to be a little bit different, but for you, you saw all kinds of kids come through different degrees of attachment to their faith, different amounts of formation, ideological backgrounds. For a number of years, about 10% of our school was Chinese born like international students and they had like no sense of God at all. Yeah. So really everything. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Definitely. And I guess one of the things that, especially watching how Pope Francis is able to make a connection it's funny because as both you and I have noticed the, those who are like uber pious or uber traditional are almost repelled by his approach. But one thing that I noticed right off the bat was how he was able to make a connection. However slight Mm -hmm. with people who had just, who maybe didn't have a strong connection to the church or who had left the church or mm-hmm. who had built up a certain idea of what the church was. You and I went to the same Catholic high school and I would say mm-hmm. that the majority of the kids came from a vaguely Catholic background, mm-hmm. not terribly intentional about their faith, mm-hmm. various levels of catechesis, various levels of CCD and religion class. Mm-hmm. But that demographic of future ex-Catholics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I assume that's a lot of what you encountered with the kids you taught. Did you notice, first of all, did you notice any change across the 14 years, like in the kids themselves and their backgrounds, other than coming from China all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. And did you discover anything that resonates with people that maybe don't come from the most committed or most uh, staunch Catholic background that maybe maybe attracts them to the faith mm-hmm. or brings them closer to God or helps them become more open to the gospel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we experienced, over my 14 years, I experienced a huge demographic shift from when I got there, I'd say we were probably 80% white to when I left, where the school now is probably about 80% African American. And, and then there was a few years in there, like I said, we had a huge international program going from China, where about 10 to 15% of our school was 
Chinese, not just like of Chinese descent, but like came here on a plane from China and at the end of the year went back on a plane to China and stayed with host families here in the United States in the meantime. Very, it's, it's hard to say. I would say when I first started, my experience was more like I had in high school where you're right, a lot of people were future ex-Catholics. And as it progressed, by the time I left, the school is in, in PG County, which I don't know if you're uh, aware is, it's the richest majority black county in America. Yeah, and, I, live in, I live in the same county. Oh yeah, so you live in the same. So, um, and there's, there's these huge mega churches and we've had some of those pastors, kids come to our school. So we had a lot, I would say our school got less Catholic overall, although there are a lot of black Catholics in our area. And, but so I would say overall, our, our school became less Catholic in terms of the, the population of students, but it became more church going. So <laughs> there were more kids going to church, more familiar with the Bible and their familiarity with um, Catholic worship was much less. It seemed much more foreign to them. Um, going to mass was just like, what is this? What are these kneelers? How does everybody know what to say? I'm used to going to church and my grandmother's wearing the big hat. And people are praying in tongues and running up and down the aisles and there's a praise band. And when I, was, I would teach Paul's letters, we talk about the charismatic gifts and people speaking in tongues. Back in 2006, when I started, none of the kids knew what I was talking about. Whereas in 2020 when I stopped because like, oh yeah my mom prays in tongues yeah like that happens all the time in our church so it's just a very different experience your, your question was what's what speaks to the kids and I've found just no matter who the kids are from whatever background communicating that you care in some way um going out of your way to just it's the personal stuff they have they have to know you love them before you'll ever listen to before they'll ever listen to anything you have to say I would say that's one thing that they really appreciate. And I, I had one student who, he, he was Catholic, but he was very openly homosexual and opposed to church teaching on that. And, but he and I had a great rapport. He and I talked all the time. We talked through the ins and the outs of, of church teaching and where he agreed and where he didn't agree. And after the, the Charlottesville riots in 2017, where people had the tiki torches and were the white supremacist rally, he was talking to me before school and he said, you know, Mr. Tenney, if they come for me, they're going to have to hang me with a Gucci belt. And he was trying to be you know, cute about it. And I said, you know what, if, if they have to come for you, they have, they're going to have to come for me first before they ever get to you. And it got like real serious in the room and he came over and he was like, grab me. I said, thank you, Mr. Tenney. And you know, he, that, those, those are the moments, those are the, the things that speak to people, those moments of kindness. And I mean, he, he knew exactly where I stood on various to controversial topics of church teaching and where we disagreed. We talked through all of that, but because I, he knew that I loved him in this teacher-student relationship, uh, that, that broke through. So that's the first thing is, I think, just be kind to people. And that's the first one. The second one that I found people really appreciate, and this is Catholics who are not well catechized and also non-Catholics who just don't know much about the faith, is they really appreciate the intellectual nuance of the faith. When it comes to scriptural interpretation and how we interpret scripture, especially the books of Genesis, the early books, when it comes to just the balance of faith and reason, thinking through moral issues and conscience and cooperation and double effect and the social doctrine of the church, thinking through pro-life issues, end-of-life issues, medical ethics, criticisms of socialism and capitalism, all of that stuff, just the nuance that the, that the church has in thinking through those things. It gives people a different way to look at the world than 
the American political polarity. And they really appreciate that, especially the kids that are a little more intellectual, a little more philosophical. So those are the two things I would say is they, they it's just, it's got to be the personal witness and then the intellectual rigor and nuance of the church just really caught some people on fire. I think we're just about out of time, but mm-hmm. why don't you tell us where we can find you and where we can read you and hear you and see you? Yeah, so you can find everything if you go to MikeTennyMusic.com. That's my personal website, and I've, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter there, and where I send out once a month just everything that I'm doing. And what you'll get there is any articles I write. I write for the Holy Ruckus, and I also write for Grotto Network, which is a new evangelization initiative out of Notre Dame. And then every two weeks, I do my show on YouTube, and it's on Apple Podcasts, and it's everywhere. It's on Facebook. It's on all the things. It's called Pop Culture Catechism. We just take different things from pop culture and talk about the movies, mostly music, because I'm a musician. So we've talked about Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, that very raunchy song that came out earlier this summer. We talked about that in terms of Theology of the Body and NFP. Um, we talked about Taylor Swift's new album. We had an episode from out today talking about Linkin Park and 20 years of rap rock. We're talking about Ed Sheeran and Frozen. And I got episodes on Bruce Springsteen coming up. We're going to talk about yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I got a good response so far. So yeah, MikeTennyMusic.com. You can follow me on social media. My handle is PKMikeyT. PKMikeyT. Okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It was great catching up with you, Mike. You too. It's exciting to hear about everything you're doing. Good luck with the little ones. Uh-huh. You too. <laughs> and give my best to the family and to, and to the big brothers. Yours as well. And tell, tell your brother, Father Pat, I said that. I will. Take care. Until next time, God bless and take care.